coming up on Marriage Today with Jimmy and Karen. You are God's dream. It doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter what your education level is. It doesn't matter how much money you don't have in your pocket. You are God's dream. He values you. It surprises some people to hear that God has a dream, and God does have a dream, and it's a very important dream. In fact, it's the entire theme of the Bible. And sometimes we get so close to the Bible that we forget what it's about. And we, we, you say, well, what's the Bible about? Well, it's about not making God mad. Well, it's about God wants your money. Well, it's about, you know, do the do's and don't do the don'ts or something like that. We, we get close to the Bible, and we know certain doctrines or certain points but we don't really understand the point of the Bible. But let me just solve the mystery right now. God wants a family. God has a dream of a family. Now, theologically speaking, it's important to understand God doesn't need anything. God is self-existent. God needs nothing outside of himself to exist. And if he did, he couldn't be God, and it wouldn't be a good thing. But God is self-existent. But even though God doesn't need anything... He wants something. He wants a family. In fact, he wants a family so bad he was willing to die to get it. In John three sixteen, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The story of the Bible is very simple. God wants a family, and he created Adam and Eve to produce a family for him. He commanded them to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth with a family. And God lived with them, and it was God's intent to live with them forever on this earth. But they sinned, they rebelled against him. But in spite of that, from the foundation of the world, Jesus was slain because God knew they would rebel, but he had a plan of salvation to get him a family anyway. And Jesus came to pay for our sins so that we can become family members of God. And I'm saying right now, if you're a believer, you're family. If you're a believer, you're my family. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior, you're my brother and sister in Christ. And listen, you're more my family than my blood family who doesn't know Jesus. And you've heard the old saying that blood is thicker than water. I believe that's true. But listen to this. Spirit is thicker than blood. This is Mark chapter 14. This is a story about Jesus being in Bethany. Mark 14, being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper as he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. Then she broke the flask, poured it on his head, but there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they sharply criticized her. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish, you may do them good, but me you don't, do not have always. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. So he sought how he might conveniently betray him. So Jesus is in Bethany. The word Bethany means house of misery or house of depression. It's a bad place. And he's at the home of Simon the leper. And leprosy was a horrible, incurable disease that your limbs fell off and you ultimately died. 
And Jesus is at the home of a leper. And a woman came and poured out a vial of very costly, an alabaster flask, a very costly perfume that was worth one year's wage. A denarii was one day's wage for an average uh, workman in those days. And it was worth 300 denarii. So let's say $50,000. This woman came with a flask of perfume worth $50,000 and broke it and poured it out on Jesus to anoint him for burial. And when she did that, they began to complain. And why didn't you give that to the poor? And they began to complain. And then Jesus corrects them. And Jesus says to them, anywhere the gospel is preached in all the world, what she just said, I want you to talk about it. So literally what I'm doing right now is in obedience to the command of Jesus. I'm honoring this woman according to the command of Jesus Christ. Wherever the gospel is preached, tell what she did. Okay, that's what we're doing. And Judas, at that, got up and betrayed Jesus. That was the event that caused Judas to betray Jesus. So here's, here's some questions. Why was Jesus in such a bad place talking to a leper? I mean, why in the world would Jesus be at the house of misery talking to a leper? Okay, let me answer the question, God's dream. Simon the leper was God's dream. You say, yuck. He had leprosy. But God doesn't see people the way we see people. See, we're human beings and we have a tendency to think that healthy people are better than sick people or wealthy people are better than poor people or attractive people are better than less attractive people. God doesn't see like that because he's not shallow, he's God. When he sees us, he sees the child he made in our mother's womb. There's never a physical description of Jesus in the Bible because it doesn't matter. He's the son of God and we don't compare him to other people physically to decide if we're gonna love him or not. And God doesn't compare us to other people physically to decide if he's going to love us or not. God loves us because we're his children, and he loves Simon even though he had leprosy. Somebody say, praise the Lord. That's good news. You're God's dream. You're God's dream. And you may say, Jimmy, I've done a lot of bad things. You're God's dream. Jimmy, I'm not the person I want to be. You're God's dream. You are God's dream. It doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter what your educational level is. It doesn't matter how much money you don't have in your pocket. You are God's dream. He values you. Another question. Why was the woman's gift of perfume so important that Jesus would command that she be memorialized wherever the gospel is preached? Because she didn't give perfume. She gave her dream. Women, women don't think like men. Women plan things out. And when it comes to being married, this was her dowry. She was saving this. This wasn't perfume. This was her dowry. This was her marriage. This was her children. This was her house with a white picket fence. This was her future. She had been saving. She had been planning. But she decided one day that Jesus was more important than her dream. And literally, she laid down her dream so God could have his dream. The gospel can only be preached by people who value God's dream over their dream. Dreams, greed blinds us to God's dream. Selfishness blinds us to God's dream. I want to tell you about several dreams that, that I had to lay down in my own life. One, one related to my marriage. When I was a kid growing up, I never dreamed of being a doctor or a lawyer or anything like that. I dreamed of being an athlete is I loved athletics and I was good in athletics and my favorite sport was baseball, but I had to have surgery because of injuries from sports. And I have a big scar on my elbow here. So that kind of put me out of the baseball business. So I took up golf. 
So when I was in high school, I played, started playing golf and, and didn't compete in high school, but played in high school and played in college. And then Karen and I got married. But when Karen and I got married, I, I golfed all the time with my friends. I shot, you know, mid to low 70s. And I thought to myself, I had this dream within me. I was in my early 20s, and I thought, you know, if I can shave three or four strokes off my score, you know, I might be able to go pro. Well, I wasn't good enough. I, I would have never made it. But still, I had that dream. Well, I would come home from playing golf, and Karen would meet me at the door. Uh, I'm very unhappy with me uh, because I had not been with her and the kids, and I was checked out. I was either working or golfing, and when I came home, I was just zonked. And she began to complain, and she was contesting me playing golf, but it was more than playing golf. It was, it was my dream. Research proves that the worst fights in marriage are on a dream level. When you're spending too much money, you're not just spending too much money. You're threatening my dream of having a secure home. When you won't come home and be with the kids, you're not just being distant. You're threatening my dream of having a, a family that loves each other and spends time together. Our worst fights are on a dream. You're messing with my dream. See, Karen had a righteous dream when we got married, and Karen's dream was to have a godly family. She wanted me to be a godly husband. She wanted us to have a, a Bible-based family because neither one of us were raised in a home of, with our parents being saved. She wanted, she wanted to have a godly family with Christ in the middle of our marriage. That was her dream. My dream was golf. And one night I came in, and she had been nagging about me playing golf for a long time, and I came in, and she was still nagging. And I said, uh, get out of the house and go back to your mother and father. And I was, I was out of love with Karen at that point. We had fought so much we were numb. She went in the bedroom crying, and uh, that's the night the Lord broke through my heart. And uh, Karen had been praying for me, and we went to church every Sunday, but I was an idiot. And I was a terrible husband. I was just a very sanctified idiot. But that night, I was sitting in the living room. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know, I didn't know how to keep her, and I, I, didn't know, I didn't know what to do. And... Um, it was like scales fell off my eyes. I don't know how to describe it. One, one minute I thought I was the perfect husband and I was married to, you know, this horrible wife. And the next minute I just saw what an idiot I was, what a jerk I was. And I went in the bedroom and I apologized to Karen for the first time in our married life. And I said these words to Karen, I'm hanging my golf clubs up. But I wasn't hanging my golf clubs up. I was laying my dream down. I'll never be an athlete. I'll never, I'll never be a full-time athlete. That's been my dream since the time I was a little boy. I'll never be an athlete. I'm dying to that. Okay. And I laid it down. Well, it, it healed our marriage. Me laying that down. See, my dream was a bad dream. You, you can always tell your dream's a bad dream because it's somebody else's nightmare. <laughs> Karen had a righteous dream. I had a selfish dream. And I laid my dream down. When I laid my golf clubs down, I laid my dream down. And our marriage was healed. And several years later, when our marriage was healed, I remember Karen walking up to me and saying, why don't you go play golf? And I said, excuse me, I just think I heard Jesus. <laughs> well, Karen doesn't mind me playing golf. She just minds golf coming before her. And today I have sports. I play golf. I've watched sports on TV. I love, I'm just, I'm just in heaven in sports. But I serve Jesus first, and I serve my wife second. And all my other dreams come way down here. So that was the first dream I had to lay down. Second, I, was raised, I wasn't raised in poverty, but I was raised down the street from it. And uh, I worked from the time I was 10 years old. I mowed yards. I, I, I threw newspapers at 4 in the morning for many years. I went on Saturday morning to the donut store and filled a wagon with donuts and went door-to-door -door and sold donuts. 
I hauled hay, I plowed. I, you know, I worked in a car wash. And when Karen and I got married, I was working in a car wash. And so my family worked very, very hard, and we didn't have any discretionary income. We just, we survived. So when Karen and I got married, I was working for my uncle at his appliance store, and I was making $7,000 a year. That was my total income. I went to college. I was doing that, and Karen was a stay-at-home mom. And we lived in government housing. Um, you had to be broke to qualify, and we qualified instantly. And our, your house payment was based on your income, and our house payment was $109 a month. And so it, we were, but we were just overjoyed, you know, to have a place to live. And so we went to church living in that house at that time. We went to church one Sunday, and the preacher was preaching on giving. Well, I had, I had never even thought about the concept of giving money to a church, you know. So the preacher stood up and started talking about us giving 10% of our income to the church. I thought, he's crazy. I feel a lot sorry for me, more sorry for me than I do this church. I'm, there's no way. I, I was just disgusted, and I just folded my arms, and I thought, I'm never coming back to this place. You know, preaching on giving, wanting my money. So we, we go home, and I'm just, you know, I just kind of put it out of my mind when we get home, and Karen walks up and says, I like that preacher's message. <laughs> what? And she said, Jimmy, can I give $40 to the church? I mean, I, 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 just, did, I just thought I was going to die. So... She gives $40 to the church. So for two weeks, we didn't get any more money in or anything like that. Two weeks goes by, and we're tr- I'm trying to survive to the next paycheck. And nothing you know, happens mysterious or anything like that. But at the end of two weeks, we had money in the bank. For the first time ever, we had money in the bank. And, and so I thought, oh, thank God we survived that. Oh, thank God. Thank God. Karen walks up and says, can I give $40 more? I said, oh, Karen, oh, no, 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 don't, no. We survived. We survived that $40 thing that you did. But she was very sweet in a kind of an evil way. And she, <laughs> can I give another $40? It's like, Karen, you want to give again? Yes, I'd, I'd like to give again. Said, well, whatever you think, whatever you think. You know, so she gave again. Same thing happened again. I, I can't put a calculator to it. I can't, no big checks came in the mail. But I'm just saying something happened in our finances that even caused my hard heart to start thinking God was up to something. And then she gave again. Then she gave again. Then she gave again. Then I remember the first time we wrote a check that represented 10% of our income. And I thought, I'm pretty much the most spiritual man on earth. And then... <laughs> And of course, then it was our giving. <laughs> we give to the Lord. So that preacher disgusted me. And he changed our family for generations. Our children tithe off the first money they ever got in their lives. And they have given since the day they were little bitty kids, givers. So we were first-generation givers. It was really hard on me. Giving broke a spirit of poverty off my life and an orphan spirit off of my life. And I know God because of giving. Sometimes when I preach on giving, it makes people mad. I understand that. Totally understand it. But I'm your best friend. And generations from now, your life will be different if you give to the Lord. I laid down my dream of having money. And God has blessed us in ways that are unbelievable.
And I'm not promising you that everything will go a lot perfect in your life and there's a slot machine that you pull the lever and everything happens perfect. I am promising you, if you lay down your dream for Jesus, that you'll get the dream that you're wanting. I'm telling you, if you'll put God's dream in front of your dream, that you'll find your dream. And if there's something wrong with your dream, it's just going to die so that it doesn't ruin anything in your life, your marriage or anything else in your life. But if your dream is a righteous dream, the dream of a future, the dream of a ministry, the dream of a family, the dream of something good, when you lay down your dream, Jesus said, wherever the gospel is preached in all the world, you talk about this. And that's what I'm doing right now. That woman became famous by laying her dream down for God's dream. What's your alabaster vial? What's your dream? Let me give you some questions as we close. Do you have an unsurrendered dream in your life that is keeping you from serving the Lord or giving obediently? That's an important question. Is your dream coming before God's dream? Here's another important question. Do you have an unsurrendered dream that is causing problems in your marriage or family? Like my sports, maybe it's your business, maybe it's you know something else. But your dream is coming before your marriage. And your spouse resents it and it's causing you problems. And here's the last question. Is your life self-centered or God-centered? Judas's life was self-centered. He was willing to steal from Jesus to get what he wanted. But the woman who came and poured out her alabaster flask, she had a Christ-centered life. The message today is on, you know, dream givers of laying our dreams down for God. And Jesus said, if you lay your life down for my sake, you'll find your life. And, and I believe if we lay our dreams down for God's sake, you know, we'll find our dreams. Sometimes we have a mentality that says, you know, once, once my ship comes in, you know, I'm going to bless everybody. You know, I'm going to bless God. I'm going to bless my family. I'm going to, I'm going to give to everybody. And, and our deal is once I get mine, everybody gets theirs. It's really the opposite of that. Jesus says, give me your dream, and I'll give it back to you, but it'll be right this time. See, I had dreams in my life, and my dream of golf was the wrong dream. I'm not talking about playing golf. I'm talking about trying to be a pro golfer. It just it just wasn't right, and it was selfish, and it was hurting my marriage. It was hurting my relationship with God. But money, my, my dream of money was keeping me from but being the person that God wanted me to be, be generous, and, and to put him first. God was not first in my life. And as I began to lay dreams down, what I realized was I was achieving my dreams. I was the dream of our marriage, the dream of a relationship with God, the dream ultimately of a ministry and everything else that God gave me. When I brought this message, there were 4,000 people in the audience uh, in one of the services when I brought this message. So I preached this live uh, that particular weekend to about 6,000 people. And when I asked them, at the end of the message, I said, if you have a dream, everybody had their head bowed. And I said, if you have a selfish dream that you believe that is hurting your marriage and you want to lay that dream down, I want you to raise your hands. I was shocked at the number of hands that went up. I mean, I was shocked. And these are spouses that were identifying with my message and what I was saying about laying my golf clubs down, my dream down for the sake of our marriage. I was shocked at how many people could immediately identify something in their life 
that was coming before their marriage in a dream that they had not laid down before. But in raising their hands, what they were saying was, I'm going to lay this dream down for my marriage. Okay. Well, it saved my marriage is I was selfish. I had a selfish dream. Karen complained about my dream, but I cared more about that than I cared about her. But the night that I went into Karen and I said, I'm laying my golf clubs down. I'm going to stop playing golf. I'm going to hang them up and stop playing golf. First of all, that she knew I was serious at that point because our, it, was, it was ruining our marriage. We were about to split up. And so, but number two is when I stopped playing golf, it was one of the most peaceful times of my life. Now I play golf all the time now. Karen, Karen loves me to play golf. I think she wants to get rid of me, get me out of the house or something. I love to play golf. I play more golf right now than I've played my whole life. So I love to play golf. That's not the point. The point is it was a dream. It wasn't, it wasn't a recreational sport. It was a dream that came before my marriage and came before God. And see, Jesus said, if you'll lay your life down for my sake, you'll find it. See, it might be that your dream is a bad dream, and when you lay it down, God takes it away. That's a relief. He's going to take something away that's harming you. Well, let, let me say something. God knows the reason he created you in your mother's womb. And he knows the reason he puts you together as a couple and the destiny he has for you. You know what it means? When you surrender your marriage and your life to God, you're going to find your dream. God's going to show you the reason that he created you and he puts you together as a couple. And you're going to be living your dream marriage and your dream life. But it all begins when you're willing to lay down that dream. Some of you have a dream that comes before God. It's time to lay it down. But some of you watching right now, you've got a dream. You've got something that you've been doing, something that you're wanting. It's a dream that's coming before your marriage. You need to go to your spouse and say, honey, you've complained about this. I haven't listened to you. It's hurt our relationship, and I want you to know I'm laying it down. You come before this, and I'll do anything necessary to show you that you come first. I'm just saying it worked for me. That was the issue in our marriage, and as soon as I laid it down, our marriage began to be healed, and before long, we had the marriage of our dreams. Dream givers. When we give our dreams up, we get our dreams back, but they're right this time. So I'm encouraging you to do that. You know, if this program has been a blessing to you, if we minister to you, would you help us minister to other people? We're only able to do what we do for you because of people who help us financially. Would you give your most generous gift right now? The information's on your screen of how you can give. You can go on our secure website. You can call the number there, give with your bank card, or you can mail your gift in. The address is there on your screen. We so much appreciate all of you who stand with us financially. There is a war on marriage, and we're on the front lines trying to help people succeed in their marriage and family relationships, and we need you standing with us to be able to do that. Thank you so much. We have some more information for you, so stay tuned.